WBSM presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz. And we are here to talk with you about the paranormal each and every Saturday night. And tonight we have a killer show for you. <laughs> a killer show. Oh. Oh, boy. You knew I was going to start with some sort of lame pun. That's what I was figuring. I was hoping, actually. I did uh, I did make sure I gave fair warning to the chat room at SpookySouthCoast.com. So uh, if you want to go to our website and join in the live chat during the course of the show, feel free to do that. SpookySouthCoast.com is the destination for all things paranormal all week long. And if you can't get to SpookySouthCoast.com, to get the podcasts and the live stream and all that good stuff, well, then we have some news for you coming up later in the program where you can take Spooky South Coast with you wherever you are, provided you have a smartphone. So My phone's pretty smart, actually. It actually books the show for us. Does it? Yeah, because I always like lack the time and effort to get things done. My phone takes care of it for you, us. You just like make it so... Yeah, so we should start giving my BlackBerry an associate producer credit. <laughs> Well, uh, tonight we are going to talk about actually something that's in the news this week, and it does kind of veer off our normal paranormal subject matter just a little bit, uh, but we are going to talk about murderabilia, and I'd never heard of the term murderabilia uh, until the other day when I read this news story. Matt Costa, I know that you're into uh, strange, unusual stuff that Somewhat, surprises yes. me all the time. Is murderabilia something that was new to you? Um I have heard of it before, but I I don't have any at my house, so. Well, uh, I'm not a collector. You, if you're I'm interested, an observer. If you're interested, uh, we have two gentlemen that'll be joining us tonight that run fine websites for people that want to collect murderabilia, and we'll talk about that because this is going to be kind of a hot button topic uh, in the news for the next few weeks. There's been proposed legislation in the Senate to ban the sale of murderabilia, and that's uh, these items that are related to or coming from uh, murderers, serial killers, and other such. Uh, alleged and convicted felons. And, and it's one of those things where you have to debate the historical value of these things compared with the uh, emotional problems that it causes for the families and, and, and for those who have to suffer through this. And we're going to talk about that with our guests, uh, Eric Ean and William Harder. Eric uh, runs SerialKillersInc.net along with his wife, Jessica, and William Harder runs MurderAuction.com. And these are the top two sites on the Internet for murderabilia. And uh, you've seen these guys quoted in all these stories that have been floating around for the last week. We're going to talk to them about what this legislation would do to their business, uh, about whether or not they feel uh, their First Amendment rights are violated by telling them that they can't operate this business. And we'll take your calls as well. I mean, what do you think? Do you think that this should be a, a viable business for people? Should people be selling murderabilia? Should they be profiting off these tragedies? We'll talk about all that and more. You can call in anytime during the show, 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. You can also email us during the show, spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com. 
and of course the aforementioned chat room at SpookySouthCoast.com as well. So why don't we take a break? We'll get the guys on the phone, and when we come back, we'll talk about murderabilia. Is it right? And is it right to try to keep them from profiting off murderers and serial killers? Well, we'll find out. So stay tuned for more here on Spooky South Coast. I think so, because my, my son sings it. My, my almost six-year-old son walks around singing that. So, hey, it's good for business for the guys we have on the line. Uh, we have Eric Gein of SerialKillersInc.net, and we have William Harder of MurderAuction.com. They're going to be joining us to talk about this. But before we get into the discussion, let me just give a quick rundown of the story. Uh, this is from the story that appeared on AOLNews.com by David Lohr. Uh, the murderabilia debate is heating up again with the introduction of bipartisan legislation that would quash the sale of items owned by convicted murderers, serial killers, and other criminals. Senator John Cronin, Republican from Texas, uh, Cornyn, I'm sorry, a Republican from Texas, and Senator Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota, a Democrat, unveiled the Stop the Sale of Murderabilia to Protect the Dignity of Crime Victims Act of 2010. What do they get paid by the word? It seeks to hamstring the crime collectibles trade by using interstate commerce laws to prevent prisoners from mailing any object they put up for sale. The bill would also allow victims to try to block the sale in court or to sue for damages and attorney's fees. Uh, Cornyn introduced a previous version of the legislation in 2007, uh, but it would quickly stalled. Uh, Cornyn and Andy Kahane, a crime victim advocate from Houston, are hoping that bipartisan, bipartisan sponsorship will help this latest version pass. So uh, joining us now is Eric Keen from SeoKillersInc.net. How are you doing tonight, Eric? Hey, guys. What's up? Uh, we're, we're glad you could join us here. Uh, I mean, I can imagine your phone must be ringing off the hook. <laughs> it's, it's been a busy couple of weeks with, with all this going down lately. So. And uh, we, as we mentioned at the top of the show, your website is one of the top murderabilia sites on the net, and one of the other ones is uh, MurderAuction.com. And from that site, we have William Harder joining us as well. Hello, William. Hello, everyone. And how about yourself? Have you been getting uh, inundated with uh, media requests and interview requests? Not, not too many, actually. Um, and I, I check the, my email regularly. We haven't been getting a lot of uh, a lot of uh, a lot of big, not that much of a buzz, anyway. Well, I'm going to say this right at the top of the show. I think you two are a couple of sick freaks. <laughs> Thank and you. That's not for selling murderabilia. That's for actually standing up for First Amendment rights these days in a time of political correctness. Thank you. Yes, sir. So <laughs> you're some of the few that are willing to do this uh, in the society that we live in. It would be a lot easier to just say, all right, well, now, you know, we've we've been able to do this. We've we've been able to, to make a go of this, but now it's starting to cause controversy, so let's walk away. And, and you're both sticking to your guns. Yes, sir. Definitely. Well, Eric, uh, you're quoted in the story on AOLnews.com as, as mentioning that 
aside from your business and, and what it is that you do, this has wide-reaching effects to, to all kinds of collectors. Right. I mean, if this bill, you know, is passed, what, what's next? What hobby is next? What religion is next? Um, what business is going to go under next, you know, when these politicians, just because they feel something is, is distasteful or insidious, as, as you know, as they put it, that doesn't make it their right to go and say, hey, okay, this business is going to be illegal now. You know, you can go to jail for doing this. So SerialKillersInc.net is a website where you have uh, different items up for sale from uh, famous killers, famous serial killers throughout history. And we're talking about letters, cards, uh, photographs, all different kinds of uh, items. How do you procure most of this stuff? Uh, I I began about 15 years ago. Um, I started writing to a few guys. Um, it kind of just branched out to there. You know, from there, they would send me artwork, they would send me crafts, um, drawings, and I'm sure that, you know, they knew that it had a value to it, and they were sending it as friendship to me. Mm-hmm. And um, I had just, over the years, collected boxes and boxes of, of this material, and I just decided, hey, you know, this, this might go somewhere if I put up a site, and, and the rest is history. So, so this began for you as just correspondence with these people. Well, I, I originally had in, intended to write a book on my correspondence. Um, after writing these guys for a while, you know, I thought that I had gained their trust, and I figured, you know, a book was going to be out of the question at least, at least for a long while because I didn't want to, I didn't want to, you know, violate these guys' trust. Uh, you know, get them good with them and get to be friends with them and. All of a sudden, they see book, books out on the market with their letters in it. So it went from a journalistic approach to a pretty much friendship approach and then a business approach on, on my part. So they are aware that you are taking these items and putting them up for sale? Yes, they are. And, but at the same time, uh, as you made clear in the story and on your website, it's completely you know your business that's profiting from this, not these killers individually. Right. We, we, don't, we don't pay inmates. Um, for the most part, it, to be honest with you, the inmates will tell you beforehand, do not send me any money. Um, for the most part, if they did have on their books, the state's going to take it um, um, you know, away from them. Uh, they tell you up front, hey, don't send me any money. I don't want money. I want your friendship, and I want to be able to do things for you, and I want to know that people are out there buying my items, but I don't want money. And that's the that's the angle that these politicians are going on. That these inmates are, are getting rich and going clubbing and going on cruises because of this, and that's ridiculous. Well, uh, William, with with your site, I mean, is it kind of the same thing? Did you start writing to these people and procuring these items in that manner? I started about ten years ago. I was a little bit later on the draw than uh, Eric. He's a little older than me. Uh, murder auction, though, is is more like a, an auction house. Uh, members sign up, and anyone who has true crime memorabilia uh, can sell it. We have a wider range of members, and everything from um, we have a former uh, federal profiler. He was uh, worked for the federal government as a profiler. We have uh, I know we have a paralegal. Um, those are just people that will exchange emails with me. Most people are private. Some people sign up just buy one or two things. We never hear from them again. Um, for me personally, I I just I wrote my first inmate ten years ago. And I enjoyed it, and uh, I didn't see it as a, a money thing. It would, having a murder auction website was far from you know anything I was thinking of at the time. I just I generally enjoyed it. 
I began visiting inmates, and it's something that I've just always enjoyed doing. So, in, in to me, then it certainly sounds like these businesses and, the, and these websites just uh, developed from your interest in these individuals as people, and in the friendship that you developed with them. And it really doesn't sound like it was ever made to glorify who they are or glorify what they did. Uh, you didn't do it to rip open any wounds with the families of the victims. It just sounds like you know you were engaged in a positive relationship with these individuals, and you kind of wanted to share that with other people that might have the same experience. Yes. Uh, just to clarify, it's the media that creates the sensation in these cases. Uh, it's certainly not websites like Murder Auction or Serial Killers, Inc. It's uh, your news programs. Uh, newspapers, uh, folks in victims' advocacy groups that keep pushing these cases, putting in everybody's faces, and it creates public interest. And um, as Eric's mentioned before, when they do these these little rallies and these little pep talks, it just increases sales and membership. It just increases the interest. Well, there's no better publicity than what you're getting right now, I would have to think. <laughs> yes. But at the same time, I mean, I can't imagine that, you know, publicity is a, a huge goal. I mean, this is something that kind of, to best succeed works best if it stays a little bit underground. I would agree, yes. I mean, this, isn't for, this isn't for everyone. And, I mean, it does, certain people will actively search this out. If this is something they want, they're going to find it on their own. When, when they put this stuff on the news, it just, it, it really just kind of makes it almost mainstream in a way. This would be so, uh, so obscured if nobody talked about it. There's a small handful of people that, are, that enjoy doing this. Um, and, that, and that's pretty much what it is when, you, when they put these price tags a half a million dollar a year industry it's ridiculous that it couldn't be any further from the truth nobody's making millions of dollars if you know the auction houses are making money you know real auction houses that are selling items like this like um the lee harvey oswald taxi cab the getaway cab which is auctioned off in fort Wor- right outside of fort worth texas it uh brought a price tag of over thirty five thousand dollars wow so i mean and, but nobody wants to hang nobody wants to shut that down right I mean, if that's, if, that's, if that's not making money off crime, I don't know what is. Well, we're talking about the difference between historical value and, uh, you know, what's just kind of a, a sick, twisted memento. It, they're trying to portray something that you believe has historical value as being something that's really just uh, sensational. And I, I guess, like, beauty is in the eye of beholder, so is the historical effects of these items. Right. Well, to say Charles Manson doesn't have historical values... Uh, just silly. I mean, and for them to say that these items don't have historical value, I mean, Son of Sam, Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, Ted Bundy, these are household names. People recognize these names. You know, square folks, you say those names, people will recognize them. And there will, will be the interest because of the, the books and the television shows and the movies. People want to feel a connection with that. And they will come to sites like Serial Killers, Inc. and MurderAuction.com and, and sign up and, and purchase these items. They had to have a little, you know, Morbid memento, if you will. Well, you, you know, you mentioned the books. My wife's a huge fan of true crime books. She reads them all the time, and she's read pretty much every one that comes out. I mean, how come nobody ever accuses those writers of trying to profit off these crimes? They are. I think, well, I, to be honest with you, you know, these writers and TV shows, they, they have huge backers. You know, they have you know corporations behind them. We're, we're the little guys in the corner of the Internet that are doing this from our... You know, pretty much from our house, and um, we have you know no million dollar industry behind us saying we are an employee of this company, and we're easy for the you know Andy Cahans and the the John Cornyans to pick to pick on. I mean, plain and simple. 
Well, I've, I, I mean, I, I don't really know these individuals. I, I've never really spoken to them. I only know what I've seen on television, what I've read in books. But I've kind of always been of the opinion that people like David Berkowitz, people like Jeffrey Dunn, a lot of these people are sick when they're wrapped up in the throes of, of what's going on, but when they're removed from it uh, later on, and whether it be counseling they might receive or, or anything else, I think they kind of can remove themselves from that situation, look back and say, I'm remorseful for what I did, and I, I was wrong to do it. And I think that that's part of the story that needs to get out. And pr- pretty much the way these stories go now is once they're locked away, once they're convicted, that's where the story ends for the mainstream media. And you guys are at least doing something that can help get the other side of that story out. Right. We're you know we're showing a you know a side a personality a personality of these guys that. that nobody really ever sees and you mentioned David Berkowitz and he is one of the only people in this whole genre that I do feel is remorseful he's he, he's written a couple of books all his proceeds go to to him I think his his victims families um, he's he has a, a Christian ministry that he runs from from his cell and you know a lot of people don't realize that that you know a lot of these people they're very mentally ill and you know they've done done some atrocious insidious things when they go to prison i'm sure they get on meds and they get their minds right and they some of them do have remorse and and society doesn't want to believe that they want to believe that these are just monsters locked away in a cell just sal you know just foaming at the mouth in their cell and that's not really the case with a lot of them is i mean i guess you're walking a fine line with this bill from from what i'm understanding here uh, from the way that the story portrays it, at least, is is it going to affect not only what you do, uh, but is it going to affect historical collectors? These these uh, mainstream auctions, you know, Sotheby's and things like that, will it prevent them from selling similar items? What I'm wondering is if they're going to go to the Texas Prison Museum and they're going to take the thousand plus items they have out of there that they're selling for convicted felons who are in prison for rape, murder, kidnapping, child molestation. They have hobbycraft programs throughout the prison of Texas. Anybody who's visited a Texas prison will see the hobbycraft counter, the hobbycraft counter when they walk in, and items are there for sale. They're purchased by staff and visitors, and at the Texas Prison Museum, items are for sale. These inmates profit directly from these sales, and a percentage is taken by the state and probably for the inmate welfare fund or whatever. And um, are they going to stop those sales? Am I going to be able to sue the Texas Prison Museum? Well, one, one question I would have about that is, are they credited to the specific inmates, or are they just, you know, made no, no, they, by no, inmates? It goes, they, they, are, they are made by inmates and then sold in gift shops, and the money, the money goes directly back to the inmate because the inmate has to buy the supplies. Uh, for example, um, you can see, uh, like, saddles. Um, you know, uh, they make the, the things the officers hold their handcuffs in. Uh, things like that are made. The inmates purchase the leather. They make these items, and then they are sold, and, yes, the money does go back it, to the inmate. Does it have that inmate-specific name on it? So, therefore, if there was a, a serial killer who made this item, you could go in there and know that they made a particular item? In in Texas, I've never noticed um, inmates' names on items, but I know in California at their um, hobby craft uh, shops, yes, inmates can sign their names, put their uh, numbers and the housing assignments on the backs. I'm sorry, what did you say, Eric? Especially the paintings, pretty much any painting that any inmate does, it's going to be signed. In Bridgewater State uh, Prison here up in Massachusetts, Albert DeSalvo used to make chokers that are still for sale in Bridgewater State Prison. There's still a couple of them, I think, left. Wow. There you, 
There you go. Are we going to sue? Are we going to sue the Department of Corrections to to stop them selling those items? You know, how about the auction house that just sold Oswald's car? Or you know, there's any number of uh, um, Alexander Alexander's autographs. They sell Lucas, Manson, and Gacy items from time to time. Are we going to sue them? Uh, I also wonder how far it's going to extend because here in you know we're in southeastern Massachusetts and one of the huge cases here in our history is the Lizzie Borden case and there's a, a very good industry of Borden memorabilia. In fact, one of our good friends, Faye Musselman, is the world's foremost collector of Borden memorabilia. So, are you going to not be able to purchase these items of historical value because they're associated with an alleged double murderer? Oh, but here's a here's a little uh, caveat to that. Lizzie Borden was acquitted. Yeah, but these the way that this bill sounds like it reads, it doesn't matter because they uh, they're related to that case and they're sensationalizing that case. Then it would fall under that umbrella. Am I, am I right? So, Right. I, I, the other problem with this bill is it says it's going to stop items being sent out by inmates for resale. Who's going to determine this? The prison? We're going to let high school graduates determine what items are going to be for sale. What happens when, um, we'll just throw out a name, let's say Dennis Ray or BTK, he does a painting for his kids on a card, and he writes a letter to his wife and does a painting of a heart in it. The prison staff, for whatever reason, go up and say, we're confiscating this letter and this painting to your kids because you're BTK, and these are going to be resold. But what's going to happen next is when Joe Joe Smith, the inmate, makes this lieutenant mad, and he does a drawing for his wife, for his kids, for his mother, and they're going to say, under murder be under murder be under the murder bill, you are not allowed to send out these items. They're going to confiscate them. It's going to give officers a legal way to steal mail because of a, uh, you know, it's going to be for for sale, and they're just going to allege this and constantly be taking. It's a civil rights disaster for inmates if it passes. And not only that, but what do you think is going to happen with those letters once they're confiscated? Although they, they confiscate letters anyway, but this, they'll not have a legal ground to do it. And they'll just take them and say they're being confiscated and destroyed. And sure, an inmate can try to appeal it and fight, and it'll take time before it gets overturned, but it'll cause a lot of heartache for families. Uh, come on, William, you know they're not going to be destroyed. The, the guards who take them sure, are going to... Of course they'll be yeah, destroyed. No, they're going to put them on their own websites or filter <laughs> them out into the black market, and they're going to profit off of them. You would be surprised how many officers email me saying they have this, that, and they want to sell. Or it's usually, my husband was a CO, my ex-boyfriend was a CO. I get emails like that. You wouldn't believe how many of those we get a month. Heck, I know authors who get pictures sent to them by serial killers unsolicited, so (laughs) they have a way of showing up. Uh, We have a call on the line here. If you'd like to call in and join in the discussion with uh, Eric Ean and and, uh, William Harder, you can give us a call, 508 996 Zero five hundred one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. Also, the chat room is open on SpookySouthCoast.com, and you can email us SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Let's go to the phones. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with uh, Eric and William. How you doing? Hi, it's Keith. Hey, Keith. How you doing? Good. How you doing? I'd like to say hi to your guests. Hi. Oh. How's it going? And um, I know it's uh, very difficult to authenticate uh, some of these items. and In fact, a bit of a historic note. Uh, Jesse James' mother, after he was years after Jesse was killed, uh, had barrelfuls of guns that she used to sell. Uh, these are authentic guns that my uh, my son used, and this is very valuable to me. I hate to part with it, but uh, I need the money. So you know, it's been going on for a long time. So I imagine it's very difficult to uh, to authenticate these things. Well, for the most part, if it's really not. If somebody say if. Richard Ramirez does me a drawing. You know, he, he usually sends a letter with it detailing the drawing. And, of course, the letters have the prison postmarks on them. And 
It's really not. I mean, say if I was to buy something off the market, like a Gacy painting, yeah, I would want to get that. You know, since Gacy's, you know, dead and gone for a while, I'd want to, you know, get somebody to authenticate that. But for the most part, the living inmates, they usually send proof and documentation with what they're sending. With, well, with murder auctions, with murder auction, go ahead. That that makes it a lot easier if they send the uh, actual documentation. I just um, right. You know, I would right. I would think it would be really difficult, but maybe it's not as difficult as I think it is. Well, I mean, but like Eric said, though, with living with living people, it's a lot easier. With some of these, I you know, if you were trying to get right. a, an Al Capone letter or something like that, it might be a little bit harder. Right. right. If if somebody if somebody told me, hey, I've I've got a uh, Ted Bundy letter right here. Um, I would I would want them to um, have that authenticated through a um, there there's services out there there's handwriting analysis services that will authenticate things for you. I would want to get something authenticated from a deceased inmate. You, you know, but um, I, I gotta wonder though. I mean, uh, how cost effective is that? When especially when you look at your site, Eric, and you see, you know, not uh, I, I guess you know the price is what somebody want the market's what somebody wants to pay for it. But the prices that you charge seem to be relatively low for these items. Is that because you're selling things that are easily authenticated? And if it was, if you had to go through that process, it might bring the price up a little. Right. Well, for the most part, I'm I, I don't really buy from the market. Everything I get is is I'm I'm getting things directly from the inmates. So um, basically, it's it's costing me forty four cents if I want a painting. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, I'm not really having to. To go out now. If I had a if I had a Bundy signature or a Gacy on there, I would go ahead and pay the thirty or forty dollars to get it authenticated, and that way it would just that would be reflected in the price. All right. Well, thank you very much, Keith, for checking yeah. in. Sure. And uh, hey, say hi to Jason when you talk to him, Jason Mayo, because um, you know we'll be involved. Uh, Sandra and I and uh, Brian Hanwa will all be involved in his uh, upcoming Rocky Point uh, opening gala exposition and. Um, it's, yeah. I, that's definitely worth checking out, anybody who's a uh, native Rhode Islander. And and we're going to be talking about that, as Keith said, later on. And, and just the fact that Rocky Point can still live on is, is good news for us. Yes. So, all right, thanks, Keith. Okay, you're welcome. Take care, guys. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye. Good night. All right, we have another call on the line. Again, the numbers are 508 996 And we just want to stress here that, you know, we're not certainly not advocating what these killers have actually done, but we are advocating the right of SerialKillers.net and MurderAuction.com to be able to, to sell these items to people. So let's go to the phones here. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with Eric and William. How you doing? Yeah. This is John Wayne Gacy. How are you? Uh, <laughs> all right. How are you? I'm pretty good. And uh, did you have a question for the guys? or No? No question? I think we have a psycho on the line. All right. <laughs> Sounds like a guy who pretty soon will be sending you something in the mail that you can sell. <laughs> but, well, that must be something that you do encounter quite a bit uh, in, in your line of work. There must be, I mean, it sounds to me like you're two pretty sane guys and you're also businessmen and you came up with a way to take something that you're interested in and, and make a living off of it, but or at least make somewhat of a living off of it. But you must encounter people who are kind of, over-the-top devotees of these serial killers. They're not allowed on murder auction. If, if anybody gets too eccentric or too uh, left field um, and pesters other uh, members, I'll just they'll just be asked to leave. We, yeah. I don't. I won't. I won't put up with it for too long. I mean, I understand that people in this hobby, some of them are a bit eccentric, but I'm not going to handle somebody who's just blatantly out of control. No, nobody wants to deal with that. 
in on any the most circle. And for the most part, my you know when I'm selling to customers, it, it'll consist of a couple of emails. You know, I I, I do sell to to quite a few professors that um, you know buy items and obtain items to, to share with their class. I'm sure I, I'm I'm sure I do have a couple of, of customers that are that have some loose screws. I would have no way of knowing that. It's the same as the as the lawsuits that used to happen back in the in the eighties and nineties where people were suing metal bands, you know, Priest and Ozzy for their lyrics and those cases never got anywhere. Um, there's gonna be some messed up people no matter what you're doing or you know, so I can't really control who buys for me. Well also I I guess maybe the the loosest screws, usually their uh, their debit cards won't go through. So, I mean, there is that. A little bit of a safety right. valve. Right. All right, well, we're going to take a break. When we come back on the other side, we'll talk more about this murderabilia uh, proposed legislation to, to kill the sale of this, and we'll take your calls as well. Again, 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. What do you think? Should this stuff be sold? Should these guys not be allowed to sell it? It's all on the table here on Spooky South Coast. We'll be right back with more in just a minute. Beaming from the studios of AM 1420 WBSF into the night and beyond. Here's more of Spooky South Coast. All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and uh, Matt Moniziniz, as we like to call him. It's our own Snoop Dogg, science advisor, Matt Moniz. And we are talking about this proposed murderabilia legislation that would kill the sale of items owned by convicted murderers, serial killers, and other criminals. And we are discussing this with uh, Eric Ean of SerialKillersInc.net and William Harder of MurderAuction.com. And if you want to check out their sites, they're linked up on SpookySouthCoast.com. Also on SpookySouthCoast.com, you'll see we have a new banner added up there for Stitcher, which is uh, you can now hear Spooky South Coast while on the go with Stitcher Radio. Stitcher is a free news and talk mobile application, and the latest episode is always available for you. No syncing needed, no memory wasted. It's available for your iPhone, your Palm Pre, Android phones, or your BlackBerry. Downloading is easy. Just go to Stitcher.com or check out the App Store for your individual mobile phone. And when you get there, just go to, I think it's under Science and Technology, you'll find the Paranormal. And if you go into that Paranormal thread, you'll find Spooky South Coast along with a number of other shows by our friends at Coast to Coast AM, Darkness Radio, the Paracast, Paranormal Podcast. There's a ton of them up there. So check them out. You can get great Paranormal Radio right on your cell phone, including Spooky South Coast. So let's get back into the discussion with Eric and William, and we're talking about this murderabilia. Guys, I, I got one question for you, and this, I mean, I suppose this goes back to Moniz's point of a matter of conviction or not, but... O.J. Simpson is an alleged double murderer, and would this bill kind of uh, hurt the sale of O.J. Simpson football memorabilia? Want to take that, Eric? Yeah. Um, I. I. Wow, that's a good question. Not that it has much of a market anymore, anyway. <laughs> but you know, that is an excellent question. Where is this bill going to end? You know, you're you just brought up a point that I've never thought of. Exactly. You know, this this bill is too broad. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize that this bill went up in 2007 and it was shot down. Mm-hmm. This is their, I think this is, their, this may be their third attempt at it. I know in 2007 it was shot down. Um, we are a capitalist society, plain and simple. 
this country was founded on longer. it. We, yeah, yeah, that's, this is this is the first step. Once they tell us we can't sell paintings, per, personal property, when they tell us we can't sell personal property, where they're going to sue us and and try to take our homes and our cars. I mean, what next? You know, porn's going to be the next thing they're going to go after. Oh, and not my porn. <laughs> Oh, it's coming. Careful, careful. Stay away from my guns. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if if they do drive this quote underground, it's it's going to go underground, and and the prices are going to shoot up. What I sell now for a hundred dollars, if this goes underground, I'm not going to stop doing this. If this this goes underground, I will do it underground, and something that I charge a hundred dollars for now will be five hundred dollars, and there will be people that buy it. They're not going to stop this. Yeah, you know. but the, the downside of that, though, is you don't want to get a post to office that. box in Bermuda. <laughs> the downside is, though, is you don't you don't want to get it to that point where, though, where it has to be uh, conducted in that manner because, you know, you don't want to have to worry about conducting the business, first of all. You want to be able to do it uh, free and clear. The, you want to be able to pay the taxes to the government for it and not hide it. And, and the other thing is, too, is, I mean, not that you want to promote what these people did, but you want to be able to get this history in, in people's hands and to do that, you know, you want to be able to offer fair market value. Right. And well, although I suppose, you know, a 500% markup sounds good, too. <laughs> Go ahead, William. Yeah, um, it, it, the problem is we're in America. This is the United States. We have the right to barter, uh, sale, uh, and purchase what we want. I'm, I'm not putting this in anybody's faces. If you're a, you know, a family member of a, of a victim... Do yourself a favor and don't go to murderauction.com. If you get a email from a victim's advocacy group saying, "Oh, these inmates are profiting," don't don't buy into that and don't go to the site. I mean, there's people that buy, you know, Nazi memorabilia or Klan memorabilia, civil rights memorabilia. That stuff's offensive to a segment of society. Just if you if you if you obviously if you were Jewish, you're not going to go to an auction house and purchase on a painting made by Adolf Hitler. Just we have it's a bad taste. It's that's all subjective. We're in America. We have the right to do this. That and news allows the artist. Yeah. <laughs> you seen any of Gacy's paintings? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a caller on the line, uh, and provided it's not Charles Manson, we'll take it. Uh, good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with William and Eric. How you doing? Um, I'm not Charles Manson. <laughs> okay, you don't sound like him. <laughs> well, um, I Eileen Warnos? Huh? Eileen Warnos? <laughs> no, 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 no. Um... Uh, more like Clarice Starling. I wanted to chime in on this topic. I'm going to graduate school for behavioral analysis, and I'm a lifelong murder junkie, so to speak. <laughs> and um, I think the issue with this law is that it's being driven by emotion. There's a lot of people who cringe at the thought of, you know, somebody wanting to buy a painting by a serial killer or, you know, wanting dirt from, you know, John Wayne Gacy's property or something like that. And I think the problem lies in... Um, trying to reconcile that emotion with the legality, and too many people are trying to connect those when they really should be separate. That's a good point. I mean, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're getting you're getting a rousing ovation from the guys there. Uh, well, let me tell you this: uh, we got another call we want to squeeze in before the end of the hour. But you know, we could always use a, a behavioral analyst so we could bounce things off of from time to time. Shoot me an email, Tim at SpookySouthCoast dot com, and I'd like to talk to you more about that if I can. All right, totally cool. Well, thanks, guys. I'll keep listening. Bye. All right, let's get this call in because we've got about five minutes here before the break. Uh, good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? we got to wait for the first caller to hang out. There we go. And we just lost William. That's all right. He knows to call back. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? 
Hey, Tim, I'm joining the show at Standing Stones, hey. a.k.a. Sean and Rosendale. How's it going? You, you want to chime in here on the topic? Yeah, I, I, I find it interesting, a little bit weird, of course, which is what we're all about, but uh, I think one of the most bizarre things that I've heard, and it's kind of gone by the board, was uh, Albert, Albert DeSalvo, when he was in Walpole, supposedly made chokers and sold them out of the either the... Uh, Store there. I uh, did it in Bridgewater. Oh, Bridgewater. Okay. Now, what would something like that cost? And do they these guys have those? I don't have anything from the salvo. I, I figure that would be, be pretty pricey. I've never seen any of those on the market. I'm sure they're out there. Um, just from the historic value and his name, uh, a couple thousand dollars at least. Next time Moniz does a stretch up there, when we have him check on the price for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's his buy them and send there. them to us. We, we know, we actually, I know somebody who's a guard out there. Maybe I can find out what they're going for. Maybe we can get them at a wholesale for you. Oh, I know people have been in Bridgewater. They've tunneled out, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, no, I thought it was an interesting topic, and I know that that's kind of on the bizarre side, and I know he, he actually did make those. I've and seen it. it is pretty bizarre. I just wanted to bring that uh, up. I, I can almost say that uh, Albert DeSalvo may be the only serial, serial killer that I've ever spoken to directly, uh, albeit over spirit communication. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we did have an interesting encounter with him, and you can check that out if you go to YouTube and look up Conversations with a Serial Killer. You can see uh, ourselves and Jeff Belanger and Chris Balzano uh, conducting a shack hack session with supposedly the spirit of Albert DeSalvo. So. Well, I'll tell you what, when he was when he was doing his thing back in the 60s, I was a little kid, and I was definitely afraid to go in my cellar when that, when he was loose, because I thought he was hiding in the cold then. Well, he only liked women, so. Yeah, I know that, but that, that, that didn't... Uh, Doesn't that scare you any less, right. All right, thanks, guys. All right, thanks, Sean. Have a good night. Bye-bye. All right, so yeah, guys, I mean, if, if we'll find out what those are going for, and uh, we'll see if we can help you procure them, so... I, I guess they're as authentic as can be if you're buying them right from the prison store. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yep. So what now? What happens here? When are we waiting to find out uh, about this law here? Is when when will we know if it's going to pass? When's it going up for a vote? I have no idea. They they proposed it last week. Um, they haven't really said anything else um, when it's going to go up. I figure now they're just they they have bipartisan support now. They have a, a Democrat and a, and a Republican. I'm sure they're doing their work now trying to get support on both, you know, get everybody on both sides to vote for this. And um, hopefully they won't vote for it. Don't you love how the only time you can get Democrats and Republicans together it's when it's going to put you out of business? <laughs> Seems to be always the way. All right, guys, we'll definitely keep us up to date with what's going on. Send us an email when you hear anything further, and, and we'll keep up to date. We'll have you guys back when, when things go down, and we'll find out uh, exactly what's going to happen. But I hope you at least get the chance to stay in business one way or the other. And not only that, if you want, we can get you some actual pieces of the Lizzie Borden house if you want to put on your sites. I will be sending an email. All right, yeah, we'll definitely hook that up. All right, thank you very much to Eric Ean and William Harder. Again, the website, SerialKillersInc.net, MurderAuction.com, and uh, check their sites out if you're interested in collecting some of this murderabilia. And if, you know, there's a chance you might not be able to get it for very long, so go on there now and, and check it out while you can. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll kick around some more paranormal topics. And then a little bit later on in the show, we're going to be joined by Jason Mayo. You know him from his Tales of Rocky Point Park comic book. We're going to talk to him about the Long Live Rocky Point Park ex exhibition coming up next week in Warwick. 
So stay tuned. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Spooky South Coast is back. Are you ready? I am ready. I am always ready. I have been ready. I am ready. I can smell your fears. I'm not afraid. You will Welcome back, hour number two of Spooky South Coast, and how long has it been since I've said that? It's been a while since we've had a full program, but that's what's going on tonight for you, Spooky South Coast, talking about the paranormal as we do each and every Saturday night. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and science advisor, Matt Moniz, and we are just dumbfounded by the fact that the government would try to keep murderabilia under wraps. I mean, I suppose it shouldn't surprise us anything that happens coming out of Congress, but... uh, it's just, why would, why, I don't know. Washington in general. This this is what ends up happening, though, is they, they start to become, and I mean, I'm not going to get in a, a Democrat, Republican type of debate, but it does seem to happen a lot of times uh, where, you know, they overstep their bounds and they start to think that they are the guiding conscience of, uh, guiding conscience of the American people, and they try to phase out things that they don't agree with, so, yeah. I suppose, though, that both William and Eric knew that this day would come at some point where when people saw that they were actually able to take this and turn it into something, that this would happen. So anyway, we are going to move on here. Uh, We're going to talk about Rocky Point Park in just a little bit with Jason Mayo. But before we do that, we're going to have the return of the Week in Weird, which it's been about seven years since we did the last Week in Weird, I think, which is kind of funny because we've only been on since 2006. But... And I mentioned earlier on in the program that Spooky South Coast is now available on Stitcher. Now, if you don't know what Stitcher is, well, then you probably don't have a smartphone because uh, if you do have one, you absolutely must have the Stitcher app. It gets you all the podcasts that you could ever possibly want right on your phone, so there's no need to download them, put them on your iPod, all that kind of stuff. You can get them right on your phone, listen to them, and just move on. It doesn't store them. It just streams them. and. Uh, we can get so many different podcasts. I know you were checking it out the other day, Matt Costa, and, and checking out. So I, I went right to the paranormal section right. myself and checked out Darkness Radio and Coast to Coast AM, the Paracast, and all all those shows. And, and Spooky South Coast can be found there as well. But you know, you were finding what the Adam Carolla, uh, yeah, the, the Adam, Ad- Adam Carolla show. And the one thing I liked about the uh, Stitcher is you can go on your computer, find programs that you want, and put them on. You, queue, you can, you like, can kind of like bookmark them, and well, the way they put it is stitch them together into your own. Uh, I guess that's where the name comes from. Yeah, so. and and what's what's great about it too is that uh, Stitcher updates every hour, 
So every hour there's new podcasts that are released. You don't have to worry about something, you know, that's going to only do it once a day. I mean, it's an hourly thing. So, you know, if Spooky South Coast puts a new episode up at 7 a.m., yeah, like that would ever happen. <laughs> but if Spooky, <laughs> and then Coast to Coast puts one up at 8 a.m., and Darkness puts those up at 9 a.m., I mean, you're looking at, you know, every hour you have something new to listen yeah. to. And it's uh, such an amazing amount of content on there. Uh, and they're just adding more and more every day. They're really just getting going. Uh, I saw a news release from Stitcher the other day that for the Palm, they recently just released a app that allows them to put out streaming radio. So I want to find out about that. I want to see if we can get the Spooky South Coast stream carried on there as well. And then it won't matter where you are. You don't have to be near your computer. You don't have to be near your radio. You just have to bring your BlackBerry, your Palm, your Palm, your Android, your iPhone with you, and you can listen to the show wherever you are. And that's going to be huge for our investigator friends because they're going to be able to hear what's going on and call in, and uh, it's just going to change the revolutionize the way Spooky South Coast does business. Speaking of uh, investigators out in the field, too, coming up in two weeks, our good friend, your good friend, Christopher Balzano, he'll be here in the studio with us for the first time in a while, and uh, he's going to be joining us for our annual Bridgewater Triangle Investigation Show. So Moniz, plan on being out in the field that night. I'm telling you now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is this is how it's all coming together. Handy, if you're listening on your way home, be prepared. Uh, anybody else? I, I, I know Luann's having uh, some, some issues, and it's probably our fault for sending her out into the field each year for this, but <laughs> I hope not. Get well, Luann. We're sorry. But um, you know anybody else that's out there, and I know we're going to get in, get our friends at Dart involved, and uh, who else? I mean, everybody everybody wants to take part in the show when it happens, and everybody can take part in the show. Bay State Paranormal. Spies, everybody, whoever's out there, you all can come and take part in this. Uh, just get a hold of me, Tim, at SpookySouthCoast.com if you want to be part of our Triangle Investigation Show. Now, the Red Sox will be on that night before us, so we're not exactly sure when we're going to start. Matt Costa doesn't know this yet, but we're going to go late that night because we've got to squeeze it all in. All right. So, yeah. <laughs> if you want, you can just tell me what I have to press at the end of the show and you can go home. <laughs> but uh, don't tell me until that night because I'll forget. So that's what's coming up. And uh, I think it's going to be a, a great show. You know, we've we've tried this in the extremes before. We've sent people out in February when it's freezing. <laughs> we've sent people out in June when it's pouring. Uh, from what I understand, uh, you know, the, the mosquitoes and the ticks are pretty bad this time of year. I don't know. I don't go outside. So uh, hopefully anybody that does take part will dress appropriately and, and use the proper uh, bug sprays and other protections that will help you. So... I don't know, Moniz, I'm sure when ticks see you, they run the other way, so. <laughs> yeah. Like, no blood to drain. He has an ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And on that note, let's get a little bit weird. More bad news. Well, I got a great show for you today with some wonderful weird stuff. The Week in Weird. Well, it's been a bad couple of weeks for White House press correspondent Helen Thomas, because not only was she involved in a controversy, and not only did she have to step down from a position, but census has recorded that she is not the oldest woman in the world, as previously believed. Census records uh, have found a 157-year-old woman 
so census officials have yet have said that they believe the woman's claims to have been born in 1853 uh, when Giuseppe Verdi's La Traviata debuted in Venice. The Crimean War erupted in San Francisco, got its first... Uh, the Crimean War? Yeah, the Crimean War. <laughs> erupted in San Francisco, got its first street signs and intersections. There's no authentic data to prove her age, but judging from her statements and the age of her adopted daughter, who's now 108 years old, it's difficult to doubt it, Statistics Bureau official Johnny Sardono said Monday. So, uh, first of all, is, that's the best historical references they could come up with for 1853. <laughs> anyway... Moving on. The only person verified to have lived past 120 years of age was Frenchwoman uh, Jean Clement, who died in 1997 at the age of 122. Uh, South Sumatran villager Tarina would be fully 35 years older than Clement when she died, according to officials. Even more incredible, she still works around the house and has smoked clove cigarettes all her life, Mrs. Sardono said. Despite her age, she still has an incredible memory, clear sight, and has no hearing problems. She speaks Dutch quite, flu- quite fluently, he said. I'm just having problems with English tonight. Indonesia was a Dutch colony for hundreds of years until 1945. He said Mrs. Tarina burnt all her identification documents to avoid being linked to an alleged communist coup in 1965. Indonesia is the world's fourth most populous country with a population of around 240 million people. Uh, The president said that the census results will be important for future governance. So 157 years old, and I I just can't imagine living that long. I mean, I'd like to, but it's hard to imagine what you'd see in that amount of time. But uh, is there a picture of her? No. She's hot. Is she? Oh yeah, she doesn't look a day over 148. <laughs> no, there's no picture. All right, Matt Moni's. I mean, is Matt there Cox- an oil painting? <laughs> I think uh, she might have been one of the one of those uh, tin types. Yeah, you know, so her portrait's scrimshot on some whalebone. <laughs> <laughs> and amazingly, floating behind her is the ghost of Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Mumler original. All right, Matt Koss, what do you have for us? All right. Rock star Lou Reed and his wife, Laurie Anderson, are to stage a high-frequency concert for canines in Australia. Music for dogs to be held outside Sydney Opera House is billed as an interspecies social gathering on a scale never before seen in Australia. The bizarre recital in June will largely will be largely inaudible to the human ear. The couple said they have... Uh, Experience making music for at least one dog, their rat terrier, Lolabelle. Yeah, it's a rat terrier. <laughs> Lolabelle. This is uh, it's from the guy that was in the Velvet Underground. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to guess it's his uh, artist wife's yeah. uh, pushing for this. But um, <laughs> anyway, Lola Bell <coughs> likes things of a lot of uh, with a lot of soothness, <coughs> but with beats in them. Ms. Anderson told the Sydney Morning Herald. She said the inspiration for the performance at the Vivid Live Festival in Sydney came while she was backstage at an event and thought, wouldn't it be great if you were playing a concert and you look out and all you see is dogs? (laughs) (laughs) The the show created by Ms. Anderson will last for, for 20 minutes, as she says. Dogs don't have a giant concentration span. (laughs) <laughs> the sounds will be played at high frequency like a dog whistle, setting dogs' ears twitching but barely audible to those owners, to their owners. It is billed in the f- the festival program as an absolute must for any dog and their two-legged friends. So that's coming up this month. All right, leather jacket and dark sunglasses aside, Lou Reed, your coolness <laughs> card has been revoked. 
I guess that's what you call taking a walk on the wild yeah. side, albeit with four legs. You know who won't be there? The ugliest dog in the world. Oh, yeah, because he died. <laughs> well, I guess there's a new ugliest dog in the world, so the old reigning ugliest dog in the world won't be there. But <laughs> I, I will say this. Uh, I just hope for the sake of Lou Reed and his artist wife that while they're playing this high-pitched dog concert, they don't accidentally hit the brown note. <laughs> Either for themselves or for the sea of dogs that will be out there listening to them. Good luck with that. You know what? If they put that on pay-per-view and charge 50 bucks, I would pay for it. Yeah. I want to see what goes down there. That is going to be ridiculous. <laughs> My guess is going to be a lot of butt sniffing. <laughs> That's definitely, it's like, you remember all the Woodstock babies yeah. that happened after Woodstock? Imagine how many uh, puppies. puppies there's going to be after this. So, and the, But the good news is the music is guaranteed to at least be better than Justin Bieber. <laughs> so, there you go. All right, Matt Moniz, what do you have for us? Uh, three-year-old girl smokes and drinks after accident. The parents of a three-year-old girl say they have. She has been smoking and drinking like an adult ever since uh, she was in a road accident. While Yao Wen lives in a shelter with her parents, who uh, collected and sold garbage for money in. Hanzhou, a southern Chinese Fujian province. Thank you for these real foreign... I always <laughs> pick the good ones for you. Yeah. Her brother Gao says Yao Wen is now addicted to cigarettes and will also down glasses of beer whenever she gets the chance. Gao said her daughter's personality changed when she was knocked down by a speeding van last year, reports the Yangchen Evening Post. First time I found her smoking was in the toilet, said Gao. Before that, I often thought it was her father who used to throw cigarette butts in the toilet until I saw her smoking there. The family had tried to stop her smoking, but kept she kept stealing them from her husband and buying them on credit from a neighboring store. The store owner confirmed that Yao Wen often came over and took one or two packs away. We didn't ask, thinking she was buying them for her father, he explained. Yawen's father has now stopped smoking, set a better example for his daughter, and the family have moved to the other side of the city. Gao said uh, the little girl cried for cigarettes whenever she saw them. She also is, likes drinking. Three glasses of beer is no problem for her. Yeah, so she drinks more than Costa then. Uh-huh. <laughs> she uh, she is um, uh, sorry doctors in uh, Hanzhou Centers for the People's Hospital believe that her injuries uh, what is this by um, that she suffered yeah, not only do I give you the hard words I, I give mean, you like yeah, how small four is this? point type yeah tell me about it that's all right. You can call it. We, yeah, when uh, the hospital said that they believe her injuries uh, may be a result of the accident. Another possibility is that she is just imitating adults. Man, that's that's, that's how, that's, could you get that, that type any smaller? Small. I just printed it off the computer, man. I don't have any control over that. So, what is with the proliferation lately in the news of kids who are smoking and drinking? What is wrong with these parents? Just because they want to do it doesn't mean you let them. <laughs> I don't know. You have any thoughts on this? I don't know. I think they're just doing it to get in the paper now. Yeah, it's, so. it really is. It's like the new... Uh, they didn't want to be up by those Harvard professors yeah. up in you know, New Hampshire. <laughs> it, it really is uh, the new happening story. It's, it's almost like uh, 
they all think they're Justin Bieber. <laughs> Which, remember that story I told you? I told yeah. you he got thrown yeah. out of the movie theater because he wanted to sit up in the part where they serve beer. Yeah. He was like, oh, don't you know who I am? They serve, <laughs> they serve beer at Chuck E. Cheese and they let me in there. You know what? If you want to get yourself into a place that's for adults only, using Chuck E. Cheese as your point of reference doesn't help your case, Biebs. <laughs> all right, why does this turn into Justin Bieber Bashathon? Why not? Ah, I think I just like saying Justin Bieber. And now Matt Costa is going to put a robot sound effect on my voice, and I'm going to make a chart-topping single. <laughs> and while we do that, you take a break. When we come back on the other side, we'll talk some more paranormal. We're going to be talking to Jason Mayo about Rocky Point Park and a whole lot more coming up on Spooky South Coast. All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast, where we're always happy to play the Ohio players. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa, who was one of the original Ohio players, <laughs> and Matt Moniz of Earth, Wind, and Fire. They're going to duke it out a little bit later on for funk supremacy. But uh, before then, we are going to talk with Jason Mayo. We had him on the show before to talk about his comic book, Tales from Rocky Point Park, and now he's uh, being part of this excellent exhibit going on. Long Live Rocky Point Park, a collection of art and artifacts at the Warwick Museum of Art, June 2nd through the 30th, and the big public opening is actually this Friday. The opening reception fundraiser is at the museum from 7 to 9 p.m., and then there's all-day events celebrating the park at the museum on Saturday the 19th, beginning at 9 a.m. Jason, thanks for joining us, uh, and thanks for helping to keep Rocky Point alive. Hey, hey, thanks for having me, and that was a lovely intro. I'm... uh I'm sitting just sipping a Pat's Blue Ribbon right now, so I was feeling feeling all nice from that song. <laughs> it's uh, sometimes you know we just play the funky worm to get ourselves fired up, but you know, we figured Love Roller Coaster was a little bit more appropriate here. 
Absolutely. It, uh, there's not, not too many songs that we can apply to Rocky Point Park anymore, but uh, of course the classic would still be that 80s commercial that we all know and love and remember. And I'm going to make Matt Costa try to find it on YouTube during the course of the... I'm sure we could all sing it if necessary, but let's hopefully we can find the actual video. I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to make a mix for the opening reception featuring some of the bands that played there. Oh, wow. I know uh, Quiet Riot. That's one of the one of the Rocky Point hits. And now I don't know if this is true or not. If it's something that I heard when I was a kid, and I'm not sure if it was true, but in their early days before they really hit it big, did Guns N' Roses play a show there? I did hear that. I did hear that too. I don't. I haven't found any confirmation of that. I also heard that uh, Boston. There's actually a Boston song with the lyric playing for a week in Rhode Island. Yep. Supposedly Boston won a battle of the bands at Rocky Point huh. before they hit it big. Well, actually, if you want confirmation on that, I can get I can get you that information. All right. Yeah, that, that'd be awesome. Their uh, their PR person and I have uh, have worked together a few times. So. Uh... Blue Oyster Cult played there. Did they? Yeah. Yep. So uh, basically, I mean, basically, it sounds like a who's who of. Uh, the bands that hit it big during uh, Rocky Point's heyday. The, the the big urban legend is actually Led Zeppelin. Now, some people say the Yardbirds played there, and others said the new Yardbirds, which would have been Led Zeppelin. So that's the thing with the Rocky Point. There's so many stories. You never know which ones are confirmed or which ones are just urban legends. And I'm also guessing the, the crowd that was at those shows probably doesn't remember those days in stunning clarity either. <laughs> probably right. <laughs> so... Now, how did this whole exhibition come about? I mean, I know that you've been you've been keeping Rocky Point alive for quite a while, but how did it get to the point where the Museum of Art wanted to put it on? Well, I got in contact with uh, the museum about a year ago and suggested a, a Halloween show just because the comics are obviously horror-themed. Um, but they said, well, why don't we have it in the summer and uh, we'll, we'll try to make a big event out of it, just like Rocky Point would open in the summer where we're going to have this retrospective, so to speak, on a lot of the history of the park and a lot of the artifacts, along with artwork from the comic books. Well, what are some of the artifacts that you'll have uh, on display? Um, one of the the, the the biggest thing for me is to, was to actually get some of the rides. And uh, I'm fortunate to say we, we have a flume log on display. Um, we have two House of Horrors cars outside. One of them is the Wolfman, the other one is Frankenstein. And we were able to track down the... the long-lost, missing Darth Vader car. Sweet. I always wanted to sit in the Darth Vader car. Come on down. You can sit in, buddy. We'll, we'll take photos. Excellent, excellent. Now, are you finding these from, from private collectors, or are these things that have been sitting in an antique shop somewhere? Or? Well, the, the city of Warwick actually had acquired the rides, and they were in a city garage for quite some time. Um, some of the other things, a lot of my own memorabilia that I'm collecting over the years, like postcards and some of the auction books and souvenir books but um the funny thing is i you know from from putting the comics out i've gotten to know a lot of people that are interested in rocky point and they're always telling me they've got you know oh, i've got this collector cop or i've got tenants so a lot of the stuff is from friends that i've acquired that also are interested in rocky point if you want them for the display we i, I think we could loan them to you Moniz has a bag of clam cakes from 1987 still on his counter in his kitchen. <laughs> Great. We'll shellac it. We'll bring it up. Get down and shellac it. They're already petrified. <laughs> the, I'm, uh, I'm petrified of going near them. So We actually have had a really, really uh, great reception so far just from 
having the cars outside and the flume outside. People have been slamming on their brakes and hopping out and taking photos and seeing what's going on inside the museum. And um, the interesting thing is we've had old employees come in and say, you know, we want to donate our old employee jacket to the permanent museum here. I have to be like, well, sir, it's only open for the month. And they're like, well, I don't care. I want you to have it. Wow. I mean, that, that, that's got to make you feel good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had one um, mother and daughter spend like an hour inside the museum just looking around, and on the way out they actually broke down into tears. So it's had a, it had a pretty moving moving response so far. You know, there, there's a lot of uh, these amusement parks uh, throughout the country that have kind of fell by the wayside, and, and some of them are still standing but in disrepair, uh, i.e. Lincoln Park, which is still in the process of being... Taken down and I went to a uh, photograph session with uh, Sarah Samways from Thirty Odd Minutes uh, through there. Uh, it's eerie, mm-hmm. really, really eerie to walk through these places that you know. As a kid, you remember this being the fairway and, and this and that. Yeah, but I mean that just seems to be the case all over that they're that they're falling apart and they're they're being sold off and the land's being used for other purposes. But for some reason, Rocky Point just seems to have a just a, a fan base around it that just won't let it go. I mean, there's websites dedicated to it. There's so much memorabilia that you can view online. It, what is it about that particular park that holds it in people's memory so strongly? I think it's just ingrained in, in you know, Rhode Islanders and New Englanders as uh, the place that they were every summer. You know, there's so many memories, and uh, I don't know. It's just that it's, it's, it truly is the amusement park that refuses to die. I mean, for us Massachusetts people, it was the only way you were getting us down to Rhode Island. <laughs> so there's always that, too. But uh, it it just it, it stays in people's memories, I think, because so many generations. I mean, uh, people might not realize how far back the history of this park goes. Absolutely. 1847, actually. Wow. And that's um, an interesting aspect now. I mean, a couple of years ago, there were the ruins of the park where you had the House of Horrors uh, still standing and couple other buildings still standing, but now everything's demolished, and what's happening is uh, these other locations from the 1800s are sort of revealing themselves. There's a foundation at the park that stems from the 1800s, the old observation tower. Um, there's still the caves that are there, which pretty creepy. They're, they're from the you know, 1800s. They were one of the park's first attractions, and uh, there's been all sorts of weird urban legends that have taken place in those caves. Well, what's the uh, stat? What's the status of the property? I mean, is it? It's obviously sealed up, and well, the the city of Warwick has uh, acquired the shoreline, so they've opened it up um, a couple different days throughout the year and let people just basically drive in and hang out on the beach and sort of look in. But you can't go in the midway because that's still uh, federal government property. It's it's in the receivership of the Small Business Administration. I mean, have you been able to get access in there at all yourself, or? I've, uh, I've poked around with, with the proper, uh, officials. Yeah, it's, it's, it's still a sight to see. So the bottom matter of, let's keep this between, uh, you, me, and the, uh, thousands of people that are listening. What do we have to do <laughs> to get in there and actually conduct an investigation? I don't know. I don't know. I've been, uh, I've been talking with a few people about just that and, uh, hoping to make that happen, at least. By the end of the summer, that would be awesome. Well, if you if you get us the names of the people that we need to contact, I promise you we'll make it happen. Because when you uh, when you give them you know four call letters and station letterhead, it 
tends to make things happen when right. you need to. So we'll certainly help out with that any way we can. Now, when you're putting this stuff on display, as you said, the family that broke, the mother and the daughter that broke down in tears, you must be seeing a lot of these uh, joyous emotions coming out of people too. And, and every piece, every artifact must bring back memories uh, that people forgot about. Exactly. One one guy came in and said, you know, I haven't seen any of this stuff in 20 years. It's it's amazing, you know. Um, and and we also, there's there's a bunch of photographs that different photographers around Rhode Island have taken over the years, and there's, um, you know, artwork from the comics, and there's just a lot to see. And there's also uh, an urban legend section, which I know you guys will dig. It uh, features the, the letter from the first issue of the Viking scalping, place of the house of ours nice i mean that is uh that that's one of the forever lasting images of of rocky point and and you brought that to life so vividly in the comic uh what's the reaction been since we talked to you last uh, about the comic i mean it seems to me like it's the perfect outline script for somebody to make a movie sure i mean that's it's another idea that's been sort of talking around in uh you know in the comics there's mentioning of uh, the third issue, there's accidents footage that's supposedly out there, some of these more bizarre rides. And in actuality, there is a lot of fire footage that the news took. And there's also, uh, in issue two, the um, Skyliner maintenance man was killed uh, fixing the Skyliner in the turnaround in the woods. There's actual news footage of that, um, his body being taken out on a stretcher by the Skyliner woods. It's, it's super creepy. I'm getting chills thinking about it now. <laughs> and that's because so, I don't like heights, so I wouldn't have gone on that ride anyway, just talking yeah. about it. But, I mean, I think there's a there's a creative way to sort of present a documentary, also an investigative sort of Blair Witch aspect to uh, a horror movie there. I think that would be great. Uh, Andy, if you're listening, <laughs> we need your camera and your, your eye. So, uh, no, I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with Andrew Lake uh, from Greenville Paranormal Research. Uh, he's actually a Rhode Island institution himself. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, he's the son of Art Lake, the, the Channel oh. 10 weatherman. So. Right, okay. And I know that uh, I know that Rocky Point is near and dear to his heart. And, yep. and uh, of course, the Johnsons are right in Warwick there as well. And uh, there, there's definitely a, a team of people that could certainly help with something like that. And, Absolutely. Uh, not only do they all have the paranormal and technical expertise, but they're all a bunch of hams too. So you won't have to worry about hiring actors. <laughs> well, you know what? We've uh, the the museum is actually located right down the street. Actually, just a few buildings down from the old Taps uh, building. If if people oh. are familiar with that area. Oh yeah. Yeah. Brian has visited, visited the museum, and hoping Keith and Carl and Sandra will come down. And uh, I think uh, the Saturday coming up, I'm hoping that they'll all be there. You know. Yeah, we spoke. Signing. Keith, Keith joined us earlier in the show. He called in and said to tell you hello and that he'll be there. Okay, awesome. So Great. there you go. And now when people are going to this uh, exhibit and they're, they're having all these memories, you must get inundated with questions of, of uh, people who want to know what happened to certain pieces of memorabilia that, they, that you don't have and that you know, nobody really knows what happened to it. I'm guessing a lot of this stuff uh, was stolen over the years when it was just sitting there. I'm guessing a lot of it has kind of gone... Uh, black market to to amusement collectors. Uh, there's no way we're ever going to see every piece of history that we remember from the park. So, I, I, that's what the exhibit is for, though, to keep those memories alive in that regard. Yeah, it's pretty much. Well, what do we have left, and let's let's try to preserve it in a kind of entertaining and presentable way for for history's sake. 
And um, the other thing that I wrote about in the comics is the Rive Graveyard. Um, and I don't know how familiar you guys are with that, but that was the legend. And um, it's actually confirmed from one of the old park managers that when a ride broke down, it was cheaper to bury it in, in the woods um, than to have it removed. And so they did that throughout the 70s and 80s. And I'm, you know, my dream is to go in there with some metal detectors and uh, backhoes and dig all this stuff up. Wow. I can only imagine what you could find out there. Perhaps. Perhaps the Viking is buried. Well, if he's there, he's going to call us at some point. You know, you, you'll be sleeping in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden you'll find yourself out there with a shovel uh, digging him up. So, Or is that a bunch of EPA agents out there saying you found a Superfund site? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, what are some of the rides that, that are, are rumored to be out there? Um, this one ride that was a sort of a rotojet rocket ship ride that supposedly broke down um, while someone was on it, they buried that out there. Then I heard pieces of the Trabant ride, which I don't really know what that ride was, but I guess that ride caught on fire, um, and they dismantled pieces of that and buried that out there. And, um, you know, one of the old park managers speculated, I mean, there, there could have been stuff back from the 1930s. Who knows? Well, the way you're describing it, it sounds like uh, we're lucky we got out with our lives <laughs> after a few of those trips. But I mean, it's everybody's. Everybody in this area. It was their first roller coaster ride. It was either there or it was Lincoln Park. So I mean, there's always those those fond memories. Uh, I know that the roller coaster. At least what I heard was that the roller coasters were moved elsewhere. That's correct. Um, the Flume was sold to uh, Philippines, I believe, and then the, yeah, the Corkscrew and Cyclone all have other homes across the country. And you never know when when these rides are going to turn up. I mean, when I was a kid, uh, one of the the places I went, I, I lived for a time in Hull, and I went to Paragon Park, you know, quite often. And uh, I came to find out a f- few years ago when I went to Edaville, I brought my son to Edaville for the first time, and that was a place I'd gone to so much when I was a kid. And when I get there, I'm, I'm doing a story for the newspaper on the new owners of the park, and they're telling me, oh, here's the carousel, that's from Gaslight Village in New York. I was like, I remember Gaslight Village, I went there. And here's this ride, this is the Ferris wheel, that's from... You know, Paragon Park. Oh, I remember Paragon Park. It's, it's like whatever is left out there is is what's keeping these rides alive, and it's it's not the the shame that you would think it is where they're going to waste. They are being used, and they are being loved once again. Exactly, and uh, we also have a uh, Skyliner car on display at the museum too. I forgot to mention that. Um, that's from David Bettencourt, the director and producer of the you Must Be as Tall documentary. Well, the just the memories of that will keep me away from it. Uh, <laughs> me, me and those rides don't go well together. I wanted to ask: Is the um, at Lincoln Park is the wooden coaster still up, or did they demolish that? It is still semi uh, standing. It's not demolished, but it's coming down all on its own. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, why you want pieces? It could be a whole other exhibit unto itself, the Lincoln Park retrospective. Sure. I mean, there's there's definitely, I know the Standard Times has tons of photographs in their files. and uh, we That could place also had a reputation of being haunted even when it was still a functioning uh, amusement park. I mean, it may, I mean, sounds like Jason's got his hands full of the Rocky Point, but it might be something worth looking into because uh, we can certainly try to get some of those file photos from the Standard Times. Yeah, that'd be uh, interesting. See, I never went to Lincoln Park, but... uh 
certainly fascinated with the history and what's left there, absolutely. You know, the the belief was, uh, at least the, the common story that's told amongst people, is that the reason why these parks died out was because, uh, you know, these bigger parks would would occur like you have all of a sudden you have six flags new england and that kills off these smaller parks but i don't think that's necessarily the case because distance played a big part in that i mean somebody from warwick isn't going to drive what's probably a three-hour ride to to six flags if yeah. they ha- if they had a park right in their own backyard no matter how much better it was i think i mean it's, it's kind of a long shot to say but i think rocky point perhaps would have survived if it wasn't for uh mis- mismanagement in the in the 90s and you know I think it was still making money at the end. Yeah, I mean, certainly the uh, early 90s recession must have played a part in it. Mm. But too many of these parks have gone under, and it's so easy to blame the big parks for it. Uh, but, I mean, if you look at some of these smaller parks around the country, a lot of them have survived. Uh, you know, a, a lot of these coastal ones, maybe not, uh, because people just aren't, the seashore isn't the destination that it used to be for people. Yeah, I mean, these um, lake compounds in Connecticut, which I haven't been to, um, supposedly that's the you know longest standing amusement park in the country, the oldest one. I, I was surprised when I went to New York and, and I saw Coney Island and I said, well, this is it. Hmm. But it's, it's been able to stay alive and it's been able to, because of the history of it and people still go there, it's like a pilgrimage. Right. Um, and I know that there's, you know, some of the smaller parks have expanded a little bit. Uh, there's a number of them out in Ohio that have kind of grown with the times. Uh, and all, all it really takes is if you can just take a little bit of space and a lot of money and invest in one of these newfangled coasters, you can reinvent your whole park. And I think one more roller coaster might have made the difference for Rocky Point. Yeah, yeah, you never know. I mean, right now the sort of you know the land's still tied up, but uh, I know the city of Warwick is is trying to get it, and you know I think they'll do something pretty interesting with it if they can. I don't know if it would be a full scale amusement park again, but something on a smaller scale that people can go to. Yeah, I mean, at least some sort of park, and you could have a, a standing memorial to Rocky Point there. Mm. Now, uh, I haven't been there. I'm sorry to say I haven't been there in a number of years. Uh, it, the, the dinner hall was demolished? Um, no, the, actually, the, the short dinner hall and the Palladium are the only two uh, buildings that are standing at the site right now. And those are controlled by the city? Um, they're not. They're not uh, the city's properties, SBA. Okay. Well, then, I mean, <laughs> there's something they could certainly make use of. Then, if they uh, if they wanted to bring back uh, that area as some sort of park, they could certainly bring that back. Mm. I mean, some of the um, the short dinner hall is pretty ravaged. Um, there's a hole in the ceiling that's actually um, going. It caved into the floor, so it's actually all the wood's going into the basement and. The other urban legend is that the basement is where they have all the uh, rides that didn't sell. So that supposedly there's other hidden gems in there. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe that the SBA would sit on that and and not allow it to be recognized for the history that it has. I know. Well, I mean, that's that's sort of the general public opinion these days, and that's why there's a movement, uh, the Rocky Point Foundation, and you can go on the website, um, getthepoint.org. They're trying to get the state to, um, to acquire the, the rest of the land. Well, we'll definitely help support that as, as best we can, uh, especially if you know it means the difference of getting some of these more items on display when you when you do this exhibit and and hopefully being able to create a permanent display. Mm-hmm. I would love to, and uh, 
that's what other people have said. Uh, old employees and patrons alike have come in, and like I said, a guy donated his jacket to the permanent museum, which which doesn't exist yet. But uh, I'll take good care of it until until it does. You know. Well, you know, if Alan Sean Feinstein's listening, you know, he loves to support all things Rhode Island. <laughs> he does. He does. You know, maybe uh, there's got to be some some money out there for for getting something like this started. Uh, is there? Do we know, do we know what happened to the sign that was out front? I know. I think we talked about that last time. Uh, the the entrance sign. Yeah, unfortunately, that was demolished in uh, I believe 2007. Kind of kind of pointless. It, it, it could have stayed up. It, it's not like it was. Uh, I think if anything, they were just at the time trying to you know hide what it was. Yeah, exactly. Let everyone forget. Like, let's knock down this sign that was here for. That is the the first image you see, you know. But the funny thing is, there's they left all the rubble there, so people have been going out and uh, we actually have one of the bricks on display in the museum from the, the front gate. Well, what I want to know is who got the letters. Um, I believe a couple of people that worked on the documentary film they were uh, there filming at the time. So because uh, that that would be a perfect uh, perfect item for a permanent museum. Have those letters still hanging up, and somebody could probably recreate that. Well, it, it's funny you say that. We uh, we have a smaller scale recreation. Uh, there's a play called Altaraki Point uh, here in Rhode Island by Lenny Schwartz and uh, Daydream Theater Company. A guy named Jim Bellinger uh, built a replica sign. So when you walk in the museum, you'll see the uh, the old gates to a much smaller scale, but still still pretty impressive. I just like you said, though, it is. It's the first image everybody remembers. Uh, you know, you remember coming through those gates and then just knowing what awaited you or if it was your first time going there, you're kind of blown away. You're driving down this little side street here and it was a pain in the neck to get to. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're, especially if you're coming from Massachusetts and you have no idea of Rhode Island geography. But you, you finally, you get through that gate and you think you're there and then you're still going through <laughs> uh, that all of a sudden the park just would appear before you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then e- even better, if you just kept driving around to the other side, it would blow your mind even more. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it, sounds, well, it sounds like you're uh, almost uh, a little bit nostalgic and remorseful yeah, yeah. there talking about I think, it. I think it's the Pabst Blue Ribbon catching up with me. Whoa. There you go. Another Rocky Point classic right there. <laughs> so, I mean, if uh, it, it, at what point, um, you know, at what point will we see more Rhode Islanders get on board with bringing this back? I mean, it sounds like there's a, a real groundswell uh, of support to have some sort of memorial for this. But uh, how come this isn't something that we're hearing about in the mainstream Rhode Island media? Well, um, to be honest, the, the show's only been up for two weeks, and, and it took so much time to kind of acquire and assemble everything that we've sort of just started a, a promotional deal, at least with the, the whole exhibit. Um, we actually did a, a Rocky Point float today in the uh, Gatsby Day Parade down in Rhode Island in uh we had the flume log uh, was actually in travel today along with some of the House of Horrors cars, and uh, we had a great response. I mean, people were chanting, you know, long live Rocky Point. It was kind of, kind of incredible. Did you think that when you started working on the comic that this is where it was going to take you? Oh, absolutely not. I, I didn't even uh, picture a, a second comic when I, I did the first one. So it's, uh, it, I, I, I tell people I feel like Al Pacino in Godfather 3. It's like, I always, I'm trying to get out of Rocky Point, but it keeps sucking me back in. <laughs> and that's how a lot of us felt about the clam cakes. 
<laughs> you know, and, and uh, at least from my last visit to Warwick, the Rocky Point Chowder House was still open and oh. still, still serving up uh, the terrific chowder and clam cakes. Unfortunately, you haven't been in a while. It's, no. It's no longer. But what? you're in luck because this Friday and Saturday we'll be uh, serving up the clam cakes and chowder at the museum. Excellent. I, I saw that the uh, – I've seen on a few websites that the recipe is out there. Exactly. And um, like I said, clam cakes, chowder, food, drink, all this Friday and Saturday. So you guys should definitely check it out. So it's Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m.? As yep. the opening reception fundraiser, and is that is that for dignitaries or is that for the general public to attend? Oh yeah, that's for for everyone. And then all day events celebrating the park and the museum on Saturday, beginning at nine a.m. And uh, what what's the admission price to get in? Um, it's all free. I think you might have to pay for the clam cakes, um, but, <laughs> but they're going to be worth, worth every penny. Yeah, exactly. And and folks, take it from me if you've never tried them if you've never had Rocky Point chowder or clam cakes. First of all, it's not New England clam chowder. It's Manhattan-style clam chowder, right? I believe so. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm kind of a chowder poser. Well, you gotta, it's it's the red, though. The, <laughs> a lot of people refer to it as the red chowder, and you gotta dip the clam cakes in the chowder. That's a must. You don't yep. have to do it for every one of them, but you at least gotta try a clam cake in the chowder. It's it's t- no tartar sauce necessary, or as you guys say, a tartar sauce. <laughs> not necessary. We, well, you know what? We might try to just spur of the moment have a clam cake eating contest on Saturday. So oh. I don't know if you're you're in for that. I have to do a show <laughs> that <laughs> night. I don't know how long uh, it could it could last, but uh, I definitely would give it a go. And if anybody wants to make a Rocky costume, I'd be happy to don the hat and cane. All right, awesome. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, it's just you know, I'd be the world's only five foot six lobster. <laughs> All right, so there you go. It's coming up. It's Long Live Rocky Point Park. It's uh, going on now through June 30th at the Warwick Museum of Art, 3259 Post Road in Warwick. If you want to give them a call, 401-737-0010. It's open Tuesday through Saturday, 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. And, again, the events start Friday, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. is the reception fundraiser, and then all-day events Saturday beginning at 9 a.m. Uh, you can check the museum Facebook page as well as the website for updates, www.warwickmuseum.org. We'll have it linked up on Spooky South Coast as well. Jason, thank you for joining us, and uh, hopefully we'll see you down there at the exhibit. Awesome, guys. Thanks so much. All right. Long live Rocky Point. See ya. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right. That'll do it for tonight's show. We are going to be here next week, and I, I may be vomiting up clam cakes, but uh, I'll tell you, it'll be worth every minute of it. Uh, what, what's the bet? How many? Forty. Forty? Fifty. Fifty. <laughs> Can't nobody eat fifty clam cakes. <laughs> I'll have to. Uh, I'll have to check with my parents and see what my record is. I'm not sure if I remember exactly. All I remember is like when when you used to go there and you go to the shore dinner hall. If you were just having the clam cakes and the and the chowder, you could kind of just walk right in. But if you're going to order a meal, you had to stand by the window and put your order in and everything. And I always wondered, even as a kid, why is everybody standing in line? This the best meal is coming out and going to be put right on the table. You don't have to worry about buying a lobster and all that other stuff. You know, so, I don't know. I guess maybe that's why I'm the size I am today. <laughs> <laughs> Moniz will tell you, the last time I went to Warwick was with him. We went to the TAPS <laughs> headquarters, and I said, I have to stop there, and I have to bring home. Yep. I brought home something like six dozen clam cakes <laughs> and, did. like, two gallons <laughs> of chowder. Yep. You know, and I'm precariously uh, balancing them on the floor of uh, uh, on the floor of Moniz's Mercedes, and and he's like, well, we'll stop at Rocky Point, but we've got to stop at my place, you know, where I want to eat on the way back when we got there. It was closed. 
So I offered him clam cakes and chowder, but he, he didn't want any. So there you go. That does it for this week's show. As I said, uh, next week we'll be here at 10 p.m. We'll have a full show. Uh, the week after that will be our Bridgewater Triangle investigation show. So if teams want to get involved with that, email me, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com. Mark's already on board. I know that. So shoot me an email. And uh, until next week, for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular. Come with your friends. That's the Rocky Point tradition. Cause it's summertime again. Rocky Point is so exciting. Rocky Point, where you can come alive. Rocky Point, you're all invited to share our summertime. Rocky Point. Rest assured, listener that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Um...